Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, Drancer, here we are, end of 2020. I'm not sure that we thought we'd actually make it to this point, but 103 VanCast later, the end of the calendar year is in sight. 103, eh? It's a good milestone, like a solid level of production. I don't know if we'll win the Art Ross with 103, but uh, we've got to be in the mix. Uh, Look, it's been fun, right? Like, this has been a highlight of 2020 for me was, you know, and uh, granted, not not exactly stiff competition, but uh, <laughs> but you know every three or four days, right? I I know that I've got this half hour to chat with my buddy, right? And I've looked forward to it. Like I've looked forward to it personally. Um, it's been fun to do, and and the fact that you know the audience seems to respond, and that we get to engage with Canucks fans, and that people send us fun artwork and fun ideas, and. You know, we hear that commentary and know how much it means to other folks, too. Uh, that's just, you know, icing on the cake. This has been a big part of what's kept me... I, I, I don't want to say kept me sane, because it's all relative, but, but has kept me going through a tough year. 103 podcasts 
is it really is a pretty remarkable number when you think the Canucks played 47 games in the calendar year. They played 29 <laughs> before COVID hit. Right. They hit 29 in the regular season and then COVID struck and then the first break and then they played the one exhibition game before the bubble and 17 games in the bubble added up. There are your 47 games and somehow we managed to pump out 103 podcasts Considering they haven't played a game since, I think it was September the 4th, was uh, the night that they were eliminated by Vegas Game 7 in the bubble. So, you're right. It's brought a little regularity. Uh, I think it helps keep the focus a little bit. Uh, I mean, it would have been easy to drift away when there wasn't much in the way of Canuck news. It forced us to get creative at times when you think Mm -hmm. back to... Uh, name that Canuck, and we had some fun with that, uh, however many rounds of it uh, we played here. Look, I don't want to turn this into a, a year in review, because there's a fair bit to chew on here, given yes. that we haven't recorded a podcast since before Christmas, and it's kind of funny when I mention name that Canuck, if you'll recall, the very first Canuck in our game was Jason King. And so everything's sort of come full circle here. You almost stumped me. I needed I needed bonus clues. I think we argued whether I should get a full point or a, a half point on Jason right. King. Because uh, your clues were just too damn tough, quite frankly. Yeah, my bad. But, my bad. Uh, but Jason King, in the news cycle here, because we talked about this for the weeks. It wasn't just Travis Green needing an extension. They had to round out his staff. And I think, to me, this was... Uh, not an unsurprising hire. Look, Jason King has paid his dues. He's been in Utica. He's sort of been on the path of Travis Green and Nolan Baumgartner, and now he joins mm-hmm. them in the, in the you know in the big leagues. And everybody aspires to get to the NHL. And he's been there once as a player, and here he is again. But the fact that the Canucks kept it in house, kept it with guys in both Jason King and Chris Higgins, who takes on the role of development slash skills coach. You know, guys that were under contract to the organization, I think, is an extension of a lot of these issues that we've been talking about with the Vancouver Canucks over the last three months. There's no question that it is. But that also shouldn't obscure, you know, that Jason is, by all accounts, uh, a very able coach, right? Like, well-regarded in American Hockey League circles. Um, He's been hired by Green before, right? Green brought him into the organization. He's done a ton of different stuff in the American League, right? Like he was a director of, I, I think, hockey ops for the St. John's and they were named after like the Tim Hortons drink, right? Like it was like the St. John Ice Caps <laughs> back in the day. Um, you know, he's uh, like, I think there's no question you can read a ton into the fact that both King and Higgins were under contract. But I also think that Jason was going to be a very strong contender for this position in a normal world anyway. Like, I think he would have been probably a finalist uh, based on how he's regarded internally and how he's regarded around the industry. So I think that's important context to keep in mind. As for as for Higgins, you know, obviously there's going to be a learning curve. Like, this is a guy who's never been a coach. Uh, but this is also a pretty similar path to the one that Manny Malhotra took, right? Right. And yes. so... Um, you know, we'll sort of see how that goes. I, I do think with Higgins, though, we're talking about, you know, an, an Ivy League guy. Um, we're talking about a guy who did a lot of smart things. Like, he was a really smart player. Him and Matt, Manny Malhotra actually have that in common. As players, they were pretty cerebral, and they got more out of their careers, right, than they probably should have. Like, you think about Higgins when he first came into the league, and he had that how it's a wrist shot. Um, when he was uh, Montreal Canadiens, like early in his career, and I don't know, I don't know if there were some wrist surgeries or something happened, but it, his shot kind of went away, and yet he was an absolute beast 
for certainly for the Canucks, like late career Chris Higgins with the uh, the core strength and the you know headline worthy <laughs> abs. Um, guy just didn't lose battles, right? And and when you go back and look at some of those seasons, uh, like the eleven twelve season where they won the President's Trophy, he had like he was on a fifty point pace or something like that, like forty five at least. Um, with almost no power play time because the Canucks didn't give their second unit much. I think he had like two power play points. And, you know, honestly, like his underlying numbers just, uh, I mean, not Datsuk level pornographic, but pretty close. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I think they got, I think these are two capable gentlemen, uh, bright guys. And yet, you know, the context of this club's spendthrift approach to this pandemic shortened campaign, uh, I do think sort of hangs over this. There's no question about it. And when you think about the opportunity that a club has when they have a vacancy on their coaching staff, in their management ranks, what have you, like there's an opportunity to interview, to pick brains, um, to get fresh perspectives on old problems and your organization as a whole. And from what I can tell, like, I don't know that there was a particularly wide net cast. Like, certainly we didn't hear about anything, right? No, um, definitely not. And, and so, you know, one does sort of look at that and think there's probably some missed opportunity here, even though when you look at this coaching staff and you look at Ian Clark and Baumgartner and Newell Brown and King and Higgins, like you've got uh, obviously Travis uh, presiding over it all. I think there's no question you've got some really, really smart folks, um, you know, and and a lot of experience and a, a lot of experience and a lot of sort of overall hockey intelligence. Like I don't think you're looking at that coaching staff and, and thinking anything but that's a really solid group, um, you know, by any by any means, by any terms, uh, using any criteria you want. But I, I do think that that needs to be mentioned and not just optically, but because there are real opportunity costs and not being able to kick those tires. Now, that was news that had to happen here ahead of training camp. I mean, we knew that the Canucks would round out their staff. Uh, so they've got that taken care of. Nothing really new on the Travis Green front. In fact, I didn't realize that this was a race between you, Harm, and Travis to get contract extensions done before training camp began. <laughs> but congrats to the two of you. You tweeted it out. I mean, this is good news, obviously, for you guys. It's good news for the readers, the VIPs. And it's good that uh, the podcast partner uh, is under lock and key for uh, the foreseeable future. So I don't know if there's anything you want to <laughs> add to all of that. But uh, certainly, you know, I, I don't know if there was uncertainty in all of this. But in these trying times, uh, that had to be a relief just to take care of that business. It was. And yeah, no, I mean, the, the main thing is that I just want to thank all the VIPs. Like this... When I think back to coming into this gig 16 months ago, but really it was just one full season ago, right? Like it was only 11 days before camp that I joined the athletic and, and, you know, explained it in the, why I joined the athletic article that are now those, those articles that are now cliche. Um, and when I think back to what I was thinking about the job, then I was really, you know, it, it felt like a solemn responsibility right to live up to and carry on uh, a legacy for for Jason and and for the you know outlet that he really built up in this market right like there were a lot of subscribers who were i'd say the vast majority of our subscribers were here to read Jason and making sure that you know they 
saw the reason that they subscribed reflected back to them uh, at the Athletic Vancouver as as we move forward was was really important and something we took really seriously. And I, I wasn't sure how it would go. I, I was confident, but, you know, it was a intimidating task to take on. And when I think now through what we've been through over 16 months and the season and the playoff run and the Sedin Jersey retirement and, you know, just the 50th anniversary season, all the stories, all the, all the writing, uh, all the podcasts, like it's been so much fun. And I'm just so grateful to the VIPs who've stuck with us, who've joined us in in the 16 months since I joined um, and who've really made it all possible. So I just want to thank our listeners uh, and and all our subscribers because without them uh, this doesn't happen so just thank you so here we sit six days ahead of training camp for the Canucks mm-hmm. uh, it's a couple of days now until the Forgotten Seven get a chance to get back on the ice like hockey is right there knocking on the door and we're seeing news bombs like bombs being dropped around the National Hockey League, uh, yeah. Chicago, uh, the Jonathan Taves story on top of Kirby Doc and that injury. That's a shame for him, obviously. Brutal. Uh, Ottawa making a bunch of trades. Tampa getting out from under uh, the cap hell by acquiring contracts of guys so, that are sorry, never going to. Can I just rewind? Ottawa. Ottawa. Yes. Making Investing trades. Investing in their roster. Yeah. Let's just Montreal. let's just let. Let's just let that resonate for a sec. No, but Montreal, <laughs> Montreal, Montreal's the Molson family. Like they've spent more this off season when you think about Anderson, Gallagher, um, you know, Jake Allen, Edmondson, right? Like they've been taking on money to Foley. Petrie, they've been taking Petrie on his, money. Yeah. Petrie, right. They I, I don't know yeah. that there's another organized like there was a point in the off season where the Montreal Canadiens had spent like sixty percent of all money in the system. Right. Um <laughs> right before the market opened. But Ottawa. Like Ottawa, come on, <laughs> Ottawa, Ottawa for funsies going out and making moves, upgrading their roster and their depth. Ottawa, like come on, come on, right, and picking up players that they could in turn flip again. I suppose, like you know, these deals may not be uh, done in totality because they could turn around and pedal. Although we've talked about the troubles of Canadian teams at the trade deadline. Uh, Mike Hoffman, obviously, in St. Louis. We saw Athanasiu go to Los Angeles. You know, all of this is my way of saying stuff's happening around the National Hockey League. But again, nothing happening here in Vancouver. And so, I mean, Jim has been consistent through all of his media availabilities, uh, really since free agency, you know, where he's banged that drum about going young. And I, I, I guess people thought, you know, the Hamnick talk was there and maybe something would happen. And look, Hamnick's still on the market. I'm not ruling that one out, but it just feels as we creep closer to training camp that Jim Benning wasn't trying to steer people in the wrong direction. I mean, he was suggesting really since October that it was time to go young. And uh, for a team that was hamstrung by cap issues, it looks like what you see is what you're going to get as far as the camp roster is concerned. Yeah, and it's just so fascinating that ultimately the cap is not the decisive influence preventing the Canucks from making some, you know, clear, obvious, relatively affordable moves to bolster areas of their roster where the weaknesses are relatively glaring, right? Like defensive depth and second line right wing. I don't think there's any question that both positions could be addressed for 25 I don't think there's any question that the Canucks have that cap flexibility once Furlan goes on LTI, right? So 
Um, this is obviously uh, more complicated than just cap, right? There is a cash element here. Uh, cash is king in a world with no gate revenue. And clearly that's shaped, had a decisive influence in shaping this Canucks offseason. Um, you know, and, and we'll sort of see, like, I don't sense, J-Pat, that the market's that frustrated about it, right? Like, I don't sense that there's a ton of anger or frustration at how the Canucks have proceeded this offseason. But that comes with a big qualifier. Like, in italics, the key word here is yet, right? Because in a world where defensive injuries pile up, in a world where the young guys aren't ready to, you know, forget playing a third-pair role, but play 22 minutes in the event that, you know, an Edler or a Myers or, or a Canucks defender who's counted on to play top four minutes – uh, goes down or misses any stretch of the season and forget injury. What if it's just a close contact isolation, right? Like there's so many uncertain, so much uncertainty that's going to govern this campaign. It seems like having a lack of depth is, you know, going to matter even more this year than it usually does. And it always matters, right? Like it's <laughs> depth is where you win cups. You know, there's a reason the Tampa Bay lightning gave up firsts, for guys like Gaudreau and Blake Coleman, right? Like those players put teams over the top. Um, everyone has elite talent for the most part in the NHL. Like this is the NHL for a reason. It's the team with the best third line that often wins the cup, right? Like that's how it works. And so, yeah, I mean, I just look at this and, and wonder um, how this is going to play out because it just seems to me that the risk profile on a team that you know, exceeded expectations, seemed to defy gravity at certain points during the 1920 campaign. Like their risk profile is so enormous because of, you know, some of these obvious holes on the roster that have not been addressed and, you know, big whopping hope bets that are being placed on young guys to step up and do stuff that we've never seen them do before, right? Like at a level we've never seen them um, do it at. So, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm not saying the Canucks aren't going to be competitive in the Canadian division. I expect they will be. But just the chances that things go wrong are seem, seem to me to be a lot higher for the Canucks than they are for, you know, certainly teams like Calgary, Montreal, and Toronto uh, that just don't have the same issues and, and have more bodies to throw at any problems that arise. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To your point about frustration in the market, I, I think a lot of it, Tom, is that like if you tilt this back into normal times, 
you know, the off season is July and August, right? Even if your team's eliminated, right. there's there's some May and June, but the June June's got the draft and then free agency, and then you take stock of what your team did or didn't do, and then it's July and August, and training camp starts sort of right out of Labor Day. Well, you think about it. I mean, the Stanley Cup was presented in early October, right? Was it? Yeah, the Canucks got eliminated yeah. in September. Stanley Cup October. So this year, sorry, sorry, it was hot. it was presented in late September. Right? Late September? Okay. So I don't really remember, so, man. I was there. I don't really remember. I'm honestly like you say enough, October, I'm like, holy fuck, was I really there till October? We don't Jesus. need it. we don't we don't need a specific date for this part of the argument. But <laughs> it's it's that hockey hasn't been played for October, November, December now. And so, you know, this off season really has been longer than a normal off season. Plus, you got COVID, then you had Christmas, and you've got the NFL playoffs heating up, and you've got the World Juniors on now. Like, I just think people have, you know, they, they sort of formed their opinion about what the Canucks did or didn't do in free agency way back in October, and it sat on a shelf. The frustration will come. Like, if things start to go sideways, or the same issues pop up, as you talked about, you know, remember in the bubble, it was all about depth scoring. Could they squeeze anything out, out of their bottom six? And most nights they couldn't, and, and depth on defense. And, you know, those issues, if they arise again, it won't take long. We know how this market works. But uh, I just kind of think that, really, there has been a numbness to all of it, uh, just because of the length of time that we've gone without hockey. So that's going to end here shortly in early in the new year with training camp starting up. And this is the other thing. When I say news bombs are happening around the NHL, uh, you know, it's not just the trades and the injuries and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, look, teams are putting out their training camp rosters. Uh, GMs are speaking publicly. Teams are making players available. Training camp schedules, all of that kind of stuff. And we haven't heard a word. Like, it has been remarkably, dare I say, ridiculously quiet around the Vancouver Canucks these days. Yeah, it has. And look, it's also been a tough offseason, right? It, it feels like the Canucks haven't been able to turn around without, you know, knocking a porcelain plate off the shelf, right? Like <laughs> logo controversies, anthem controversies. Um, you know, it's been a never ending sort of cycle. Goalie, goalie mask controversies. Goalie mask. <laughs> I forgot about the tortoises. Um, yeah, it's just been a constant sort of uh, churn of talking points and, and most of them negative. And, you know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how everything gets stick handled because we are six days out, right? We are going to be monitoring a ton of stories really closely. Like, yeah, I think we'll be focused pretty quickly once camp opens on things like who's going to play on the third pair, right? Like that's going to be yeah. like one of the big stories, right? Like we're going to track that with a level of diligence that would astonish 29 other hockey markets, right? <laughs> uh, that's what we do. But the, the you know, prevailing logic of the Travis Green uncertainty, the continued uncertainty on that front, um, on some of the holes on the roster and why they weren't addressed, on a organization that's been relatively hollowed out in, in, on the business side, right? Um and on sort of what the overall future of this club looks like, like that's going to be hot and that's going to be constant. And it, and it probably should be, right? Like when I say yet, I also think it's important that we keep a focus on, you know, what sort of happened here, right? Like when a team underperforms expectations and the Canucks expectations are sky high, right? 
when a team underperforms, the first guy who usually gets blamed is the coach, and, and we would expect that to happen. Um, and then and then it sort of goes up the line, like works its way up the chain. But you know, when I look at the Canucks overall, and when I look at their offseason, when I try and take away like what matters, right? Like what's the big nail on the head? What's this? What's this season? What does this season mean, right? The big referendum to me um, seems to fall on ownership, right? Like when I think about <laughs> expected salary expenditure, and the Canucks cut twenty-two million, you know, from eighty-eight over eighty-eight million when they left the bubble to sixty-six point five today. Um, when I think about that, and then I think like. Well, you know, they actually managed to replace Jacob Markstrom credibly, although I think people are underestimating the extent to which the Canucks are weaker in goal in this market. Uh, there's no question that Holtby is a credible replacement, right? Like, uh, they upgraded their top four, even if they, you know, lack depth on the blue line. Like, when I think about the fact that those things got done, inarguably, right? Like, the top four is better, and goaltending, uh, a huge departure was credibly replaced. Like... I don't think you can look at this and give management less than a B, maybe even a B plus for what they accomplished. Like upgrade your top four, replace a goaltender, re-sign all your key RFAs and do it while trimming 20 plus million in expected salary off the books. Like that's tough. That's tough. And they did it. Like that's, that's decent. You know, like you can maybe, if you want to, if you want to blame management because they've got, you know, inefficient cap allocation everywhere on the books uh well especially in the bottom six forward group like fair fine I'll, I'll i'll have time for that but in terms of the work since the club left the bubble like i don't think you can point to jim benning and say that's not good enough like i i think that was a pretty tough job and and i think it got done more or less decently well like fine like it's fine at the very least it's fine and i think it's probably better than that considering the money chopped off the books like this ultimately this season is going to be a referendum for me anyway on the approach that ownership took and whether or not that pays off because as I consider what this season means uh, as I consider what matters as I consider the fact that the club has taken you know a step back in terms of ambition if not in the terms of the quality on their roster although I think they did that too uh, I think surely we can all agree that they took a step back in terms of the ambition of what they hope to accomplish this season versus last year when they traded a first for Miller and a second for Toffoli, right? Like clearly, in terms of ambition, this season is more about the future than it is about, you know, competing right now, right? About being serious about winning now, without doubt. And in doing that and not having a coach that's extended, like I just think you're creating these weird incentives Um you know, that, that again, pose an add to the club's overall risk profile, which to me is just overwhelmingly high as we enter this weird pandemic abbreviated campaign. September 28th, by the way, is when the Stanley Cup was presented. So you were right. Late <laughs> September, uh, all the months kind of run together. <laughs> I thought I was it, home by October. <laughs> <laughs> right, because sure, October... October was free agency, right? The the first week leading into Thanksgiving weekend, which, to your point about what management accomplished, I guess optics are part of it too. And and we covered this at length in October, but like I can't remember the ire of this fan base being as high as it was in those days as 
the pending UFAs were walking out the door one by one by one by one, and it right. sort of reached its height when Toffoli signed for what looked like manageable numbers in Montreal. And, you know, Canucks management knew what was coming. They knew the Schmidt trade was coming. Nobody on the outside had the benefit of that information. And so it just looked like, you know, it looked like the door was open and one guy after the other after. And that was after management had stated. And I, like, I believe, like, they, the intention was to try to get a deal done with Markstrom. Like, I don't think yes. they sat there no, and no, no, no thought, question. you know, we're just going to let these guys go. They were but just never going to do the Markstrom deal that Calgary did. Calgary, right? like it, yeah. what, they wanted no, they had to keep a Markstrom. Sure. Yeah. They had a limit. No no question. Yeah. But again, it was just the optics there for those totally. sort of 48 or 72 hours. But but um, you're right, though, too, that like when Markstrom signed in Calgary, I think the reaction locally was like six years, full NMC. Like, whoa. You know, like, I, I don't know that the Canucks should have done that. And then Tanev yep. walked. And the same thing, like four years for Tanev. Like, I don't know. He's been injured a lot, like great guy, big warrior, you know, huge Canucks legacy. But man, I don't know. Um, And then you lose Stetcher on the Saturday at what is it? One point two times two. And that's a deal that the Canucks should do all day and twice on Sunday, even though they didn't get it done on that fateful Saturday in October. And then to Foley. Right. And, And I do think ultimately the to Foley one should sting the most. Right. Because this is a guy. He's only going to be 31 when the deal expires, right? Like, he's only going to be 31. He's a consistent 40 to 50 point guy who was a uniquely good fit. In, like, the, you can't design a player who would have been a better fit for this club's core, especially when you consider what he brought to the power play as a playmaker from down low um, and how he seemed to find chemistry with both Horvat and Pedersen, right? Like, that, that to me is the one that hurts the most. But yeah. It was an interesting, like, snowball, right? Because you lose the first two guys in whatever, and then it was the Stetcher to Foley thing that really got it rolling downhill for, like, three hours until the Schmidt deal was done on Thanksgiving. Uh, what, a, what a weird weekend that was, eh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's sort of par for the course of 2020, right? Like, just True. nothing made sense. So why not on Thanksgiving Monday at dinner time, uh, you know, you're dropping the, the Nate Schmidt deal. And, and then that did sort of seem to... Uh, keep the wolves at the door a little bit, right? Like he gave something, gave gave fans something to chew on yeah. and think, like, hey, hang on a sec here. Like all these other guys have left, but you know, one of one of the priorities was to upgrade the defense and certainly getting a player of Nate Schmidt's caliber and to get him, you know, the way they did, sort of squeezing Vegas because Vegas was in a pinch. So uh, no, it turned out that yep. there was a lot. To, and uh, and look. Like, we've talked about Nate Schmidt. Like, we're days away from seeing him in Canuck colors now, and I think that that will generate sort of a renewed excitement again, right? Like, you know that he's part of the group, but until you actually see him out there on the ice and see how he fits in and all of that kind of... Like, I think people, uh, again, to they have a sense of who and what this player is, but now that he's a Canuck, like, it's only a matter of days till we actually see him out on the ice for the first time. And I don't actually think people do have a sense for just how active Nate Schmidt is, right? Like... This is not just a guy. Uh, This is a really, really good defender who is extremely involved every time he's on the ice. Like, he is lightning fast. He's got great instincts for joining the rush. He's going to be exciting uh, in a way that I don't know that this market's really prepared for yet. Um, I think... think well, a couple of things. One is the Canucks saw him against Vegas. Canuck fans watched him pretty closely against Vegas. Yep. You know, they've seen him in Vegas the last couple of seasons. And we're dealing with VIPs here who I think do have a pretty strong sense of 
you know, what's happening around the National Hockey League. So I think the people okay. that we deal with here on the podcast, I you know, the casual fan, maybe he's just a name, but I think our VIPs, I, I think they have a pretty good sense of what Nate Schmidt's all about. My bad. Sorry, VIPs. I should have given you more respect. <laughs> uh, no, I just, I do think, I do think though, especially because of how the Canucks were attacked in the playoffs, right? Like, the way that St. Louis and Vegas sold out to forecheck them, right? To cut off their attack at the base, uh, to challenge all Canucks defenders not named Quinn Hughes, although in Vegas's case, also Quinn Hughes, just to break the puck out, right? Um, Schmidt addresses what was probably this team's biggest flaw in, in a meaningful way. And then the fact that he's reliable enough defensively, um, it just adds to it. But I, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to go as far as to say like a Christian Erhoff type impact, but I don't think that's out of the question in terms of what he's going to do to Vancouver's ability to attack vertically. And when this club attacks <laughs> uh, off the rush, like they are lethal. So I, I just think it's a uniquely good fit uh, and that he could be a lot more than even even the VIPs are expecting. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, and I'm sure you will, uh, but I think after the... I think after the well, after, the, after race, you sold me out on Schmidt, yeah. <laughs> I think after the Schmidt trade and after that first weekend of free agency was the last time that Jim Benning has done a wide media avail, like on Zoom. I think hmm. it's the last time he appeared on camera. Um, and I know we've all talked to him and, and stories have been written where he's been quoted, but in terms of a general sort of the Vancouver and maybe even wider hockey media uh, having access to the general manager, I don't think that that has happened since mid-October. There may have been one somewhere in there that I'm forgetting, but obviously, again, these are things that are coming to an end here pretty quickly, because, and, and some of it, maybe all of it's calculated because he knows that questions are going to come fast and furiously about the head coach and his contract. And and Travis hasn't done any media since the end of the season either, right? Like, uh, I know, I, like, IMAC did a story with him uh, from his home in California. But again, he popped up on that uh, coach's site video last week where, you know, he was asked some pretty general questions. And, and that's a website designed for minor hockey coaches and minor hockey players. Like, it, it, you know, I wasn't expecting them to grill Travis Green, but no. his contract extension didn't come up. The, the one thing that did uh, some fun there where they let Antoine Roussel ask the question about uh, getting Love out of the bank skate. No, that was good fun, and I, I thought Travis handled it well and confirmed that, yes, the bag skate is going to be part of training camp to the surprise of nobody. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> like these guys that have been at camps with Travis now for a bunch of years, like they know it's coming, that these are hard, hard training camps. And I think of a guy like Tim Schaller in his first training camp in Whistler where he couldn't keep up, and he talked the second year in Victoria about, like, damn, I put in the work. And you were there in Victoria, like you know, he said, like I was there eyes. and I was impressed. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Such a shame. Uh, <laughs> but but no, like I, I use Schaller's example because guys that are new to the organization, like maybe they don't know what they're in for. But the guys that have been here through Travis Green camps and this year without exhibition games, like I would imagine the skating component, the work rate at this camp will probably be the highest that has been for any of the camps, preseason or summer camp, as it was these past few months, that Travis mm. Green has overseen in his time as the head coach here. Yeah, well, and, I mean, 
the, the proof's in the pudding, right? 103 plus point uh, percentage or points rate um, in the month of October, right? Like this team gets out flying and it's probably because of how they skate, right? Like that's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a big quantum leap over some like chasm of doubt to say that you know, there's probably a direct correlation to how the club prepares at camp with how they start the season. Uh, and, and again, the, the leverage of that's just through the roof. We talked about it last time, but I mean, that's a huge sort of subtle story to watch here because if this Canucks team and they have a relatively favorable early season schedule too, uh, like they don't face the Maple Leafs until the 14th game, right? Like this team is yeah. primed to get off to a good start. And not only would that mean a ton in a shortened season in terms of their playoff odds and the, and the playoff race as a whole, but in terms of what it would do in terms of quieting things down locally, right? In terms of making sure that the grain thing's not a story, et cetera. Um, I, I mean, I think it's mammoth. Like, I don't think the importance of that can be understated. Um, here's the other thing. When the Canucks do media day, at some point this week, like that's happening this week at some point. When yes. the Canucks do that, like, I do expect them to try and do that thing where it's like, we're going to address it and then we're not going to talk about it again. Green's contract status. <laughs> we believe in him. You know, da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, we're, we're all going to listen to it. We're all going to be like, okay. And then we're all going to follow up with like five straight questions about Green's contract status. And then we'll ask about it every time Jim Benning speaks for the entire season, right? Like, that's just how this works. And that's sort of where the Canucks are marching toward um, with this situation. And, and that's the right way for it to be. Like, do you see Steve Simmons call Greener one of the best coaches in the country? <laughs> or the yeah. best? Probably. He said probably the best coach in the country. I was like, whoa, that's... I mean, you know, he also had Shea Weber listed as the seventh player in Canada. So take it with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, like, that's high praise from, you know, uh, a very senior national columnist in this country, right? Like, that's sort of what we're talking about so obviously this is going to be a local talking point uh no matter how the team does uh, but i do think a hot start can turn the noise down in, in a big way and you know that's something that's become sort of a characteristic for this club travis must have been a great quote for simmons back uh, in, the <laughs> in toronto yeah right <laughs> well what was it the uh the story of the toronto media guys always tell is the taidomi one right do you know this i I don't know. Um, maybe the the Ty Domi Ty Domi like called Travis out specifically. He was like upset about his ice time. He was like, you know, while while this other guy plays ahead of me and hasn't scored a goal in fifteen games, <laughs> and and, uh, and like Travis has like the big scrum the next day and and sort of like takes the high road. And and Toronto media always talk about that as like a grace under fire um, example. That, that stands out to them, you know, 20 years later. So, um, no, that's the that's the Ty Domi story. You know, you've never heard that? I don't think I have, no. Wow, yeah, no, that's like a classic uh, Toronto media fable um, in regards. To, so whether or not he was a good quote, I think he uh, won some admirers that day. As, as the story goes in, uh, in Toronto media circles. Hey, I have an idea for something, and, and we didn't talk about this before, um, but... I feel like it, you know, as we look back and think about 2020, and I know we don't want to do year in review, but maybe we can do a brief year in review segment. Sure. I was thinking, yeah. why don't why don't we pick a couple of like fun media moments, like sports media, Vancouver sports media moments that stand out to you 
from this year. And, and I'll start just to just to get the pot stirring, because there's one thing that I, I just feel like as we prep for media day stands out in my mind as just this thing that I enjoyed so much, like so, so much. One of my favorite moments in a dark, dark year by far was when the Canucks did media day before the summer return to play. And Matt Sakaris on TSN 1040 had, had reported, um, you know, that the Canucks might consider dealing Besser at some point, uh, you know, in an ill-defined future. And media day begins, and one after the other, Brock, Jim, Travis, I'll take turns dunking on the report. <laughs> uh, like, like... First of all, first of all, in context, that kicked off a summer of radio wars, unlike anything this market's ever seen. But also uh, was just so uniquely funny, so uniquely Vancouver, um, just tremendous shit all around. I still will. I will remember that day for a long time just because it was so distinct, so Vancouver, fabulous, just fabulous stuff. I don't know that we'll get similar pyrotechnics uh, when the Canucks open camp on Sunday, but... Uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, look, that, that was, uh, you're right. I hadn't thought about that one for a while, but uh, it was cold, it was calculated, and like, <laughs> it was. It, it felt like it was never ending. <laughs> but uh, hey, that's a heck of a, a coordinated response from the hockey club. They clearly weren't happy with, with those reports, and it does seem like Brock Besser is still on the roster uh, here in late December, so he hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, you're right. Like, for me, just having summer hockey back we weren't sure how the market would respond after the covid break and uh i know like you were there in edmonton watching these games but back in vancouver uh you know for me kind of climbing back into that chair of playoff game night and hosting playoff games like well past midnight and to do it in a market with two radio stations that were doing it and like people seemed to be eating it up like it was awesome like it was great it, it, that feeling had been out of the market for a long long time uh it, if I think back to the very first pod that we recorded in 2020, mm -hmm. the Canucks defeated the Rangers 2-1 to one on a Saturday night at Rogers Arena and then had to head for Florida. Right. And I flew all day Sunday. You were flying on the Monday for some reason, but you were coming out on the road. Yeah. And because the Canucks were practicing in Florida uh, with the time change and you had a flight to catch, if I'm not mistaken... Our very first pod of 2020, you recorded at like five in the morning. That's right. right? Like yes, eight. It was eight in Tampa ahead of practice, and because you had to get up and going with the time change, we got you on the line around five in the morning. And then what happened? Like you somehow didn't quite get to Tampa as smoothly as you wanted to. <laughs> I I so like now now my work visa has expired, right? Or sorry, my work visa had expired two days before, like the work visa that I worked on with the Florida Panthers, right? Expired at the end of 2019, right? So all of a sudden I'm re-entering the country to the same state that I'd worked in legally with my work visa, right? Three days following the expiry of my visa. <laughs> so the customs agent was like, what? No chance, right? Like, this is complicated. You have to go to the other room. And I missed a narrow connection. And so I had to spend <laughs> the night in Toronto. And um, and uh, also, you know that pleading you do when you know you're screwed? You know, like, you're just yes. like, please, please. Like, I'm really, I'm, I'm employed. Like, I'm not staying there. I promise you. I have no desire to stay in Florida. Like, please. And, uh, yeah, so I got hosed. 
I got hosed. I spent the night at the airport Westin. And, um, yeah, it was a pain in the ass. Massive, massive pain in the ass. You made it though, and, and you, I did. You made it in time. You made it in time to see the Canucks get shellacked nine two uh, by the Bolts, and then we drove right. from t- you, me, and PJ drove from Tampa down to to Sunrise, and you took us through all the spring training baseball cities, and, yep. uh, and then on to, to Fort Lauderdale, um, and then that trip continued up to Buffalo, right, right, and that's where you left. You went from Buffalo. You went across the border to Toronto. Well, I, I went. Was, I, they played. Yeah. They played yeah, Buffalo and Minnesota back-to-back afternoon games. They did, and they played really well. Those those two games after the Florida debacle um, were probably two of Vancouver's best games of the season for me. Like, they looked kind of like the, they did in the playoffs where their defense was actually, like, solid. Like, they those two games stand out to me, and then they came back and they beat the Coyotes and then the Sharks right before the All-Star break to become one, first in the Northwest. And that stretch of four games, that was like what this club could look like. That was like a hint of their potential. Um, and, and I do think they found that form again and sort of looked like a systems team again in the playoffs. Anyway. I, I, so I, the, the <laughs> Friday night in Buffalo, the, yes. again, it's a Saturday afternoon game. You, me, and Patrick out for wings in Buffalo. And I get all these notifications on my phone that my flight from Buffalo through Chicago to Minnesota <laughs> has been canceled. Right. And I go into panic mode it's January, it's winter storms basically across the Midwest and, and northern U.S. Like, it comes to the territory. Yeah, you're laughing because you were going to Toronto. It was no big deal. And so I had to, like, step outside the restaurant, and I'm dealing with travel and corporate travel, and you guys are, like, chowing down as the food arrives, and I'm oh, yeah. the window seeing you eating. And anyways, the end of a long story is... I ended up having to go from Buffalo to Charlotte to Minnesota on the Saturday night. Yikes. That is not the most direct route to get from Buffalo <laughs> to Minnesota. But I made it there. I made it in time. And I my streak continued, uh, only interrupted by COVID, <laughs> ultimately uh, in Glendale. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, there were a ton of memories. Uh, some good hockey games we saw. Uh, some fun along the way. Well, it's always to- memorable when we're at Gabriel's Gate. That is, yes. of course, the the restaurant in Buffalo we ate at um, for the uh, legendary Jorts evening. <laughs> the night of the Jorts, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to get back there. Uh, hopefully in the summer when I can wear appropriate legwear. Um. <laughs> yeah, mid-January was not not the time for Jorts, not by a long shot. So that was, that was a wild trip to pack for because it was Florida and then it was Buffalo and Minnesota, Winnipeg on the back end. So Yikes. you try to figure out how you pack for a road trip like that one. Anyways, uh, made it through that <laughs> one, made it through uh, a bunch more. And, and here we sit now uh, in the lead up to training camp that uh, I think a lot of us thought may never actually arrive here. So uh, uh, it's been a grind. It's been a churn for everybody in this calendar year of 2020, but uh, we're just so thankful that uh, the VIPs hung in there with us uh, for each and every one of the 103 VanCasts that we pumped out. Seriously, it was honestly, yeah. I, I mean, I said it at the start, I'll say it again. I just, this uh, this project has been a ton of fun and was a huge highlight for me as I went through 2020. So thank you, Jeff, too. Thank you, J-Pat. You crushed it. right back at you and let's finish up with uh, a quick Wallace update I've seen lots of photos out there Uh, he seems to be uh, 
breaking hearts wherever he goes. Uh, his cuteness yep. uh, resonating with the people. Uh, I know you're a married man, but like I, it's been so long since I've had a puppy in my household. But like, is it a chick magnet? Like, did, did, are you attracting attention <laughs> wherever you take him? He makes a lot of friends, and he's good with strangers, which is fantastic. Honestly, this is a rookie of the year pup. Like, I'm not kidding. Uh, I don't want to just be like proud parent guy. But man, like I've already got, he, he was housebroken by day two, slept through the night by day two. Um, you know, he's good with people. Uh, I took him to Kitts Beach uh, just to like stress him out. Honestly, just to like take him somewhere that was busy to see how he'd handle it. And he could not have been a better boy. Like he was the perfect boy. He is, uh, he's awesome. Honestly, it's such a relief this year to sort of close it up with a puppy. I'm, I'm sort of on vacation right now. We're doing a last van cast, but I'm, I'm on vacation from the athletic uh, through the new year and spending that time with the puppy and just like really drilling down on, you know, training and, and raising him and, and playing with him, um, you know, has just been awesome. Like it's really a balm salvaging uh, what's been a tough year. He is just absolutely, absolutely the apple of my eye. I'm completely in love. And uh, that's the best possible way to end a year that's been shit throughout. All right. Before we wrap, uh, a couple of things. If you're looking for other pod options, you want to get uh, the hockey juices flowing, Kevin Fiala uh, of the Minnesota Wild joins Mike Russo on this week's edition of Straight from the Source at The Athletic. And we always uh, say this at the end of every VanCast. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. And don't forget, if you aren't already a subscriber, it's your last chance this week to go to theathletic.com slash thevancast and receive two all-access subscriptions for just the price of one. Again, that's theathletic.com slash thevancast. Uh, it's been a ton of fun. It has. And uh, it will continue to be in 2021 training camp, brief as it'll be, and then out of these games. And uh, we'll see if uh, the schedule goes off without a hitch. Uh, there's bound to be a couple of hiccups somewhere along the way, just uh, that we're given the fact that we're not completely out of this pandemic uh, by any means. But uh, it does now feel like uh, we're into the home stretch here uh, before we get hockey back, and that's uh, what we're all excited about. So looking forward to getting back into the groove of covering the Vancouver Canucks uh, for me, for TSN, and here at the VanCast. And looking forward to uh, what you and Harm and uh, ultimately Wyatt when games get up and running. Uh, yep. Stanchion with the. Uh, uh, the armies. So we've missed them. It's been far too long. So all that stuff is coming back here quickly. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for the first armies of the year and, and to be returning the same team on the other side of, you know, what, what was a, a ridiculous level of uncertainty in those early months of the pandemic. Um, that's the best. Like, I'm so proud of the team we've got, and I'm so excited that we get a chance to do it again. Um, this season. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. And I'm excited to see you at the rink, bud. Even if, uh, even albeit from a distance <laughs> and wearing masks, um, it'll be nice to see you. Well, I, I agree. I concur. And I just want to say <laughs> yes. uh, no to you and to Jeff Demet, our producer. Yes. Uh, it's been a terrific year. Hero. And to all our listeners, uh, thanks for everything here in 2020. Thanks for grinding through with us. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, we'll be back bigger and better than ever with uh, the VanCast in 2021.